Welcome, everyone. We're working on a series about sufficiency. It's a series about really recognizing that we are perfect as we are. I'm using for inspiration this great book of Brene Brown's, and, and I think we still have some copies available in the bookstore if you're interested. You may have seen her on PBS, you may have seen her on TED Talks. Her thesis, I think, is very powerful. Her thesis is that our ability to see the world as enough starts here. And so we're going to talk about sufficiency. We're going to talk about the ability to really work on the idea that the plenty of the world, that the abundance of the world, that the life of the world is an inside job and that it starts right here. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about the idea of spiritual perfection versus earthly perfection because one of the sometimes disconnects that you can hear in a science of mind community is we, we talk as Dee did about God being whole, perfect, and complete, and so therefore we as God's creations are whole, perfect, and complete, but so often we don't feel that way. Do you know what I mean? It's like the spiritual truth of wholeness and perfection, the spiritual knowledge that God created us sort of ends right here a lot of the time. And then when we look out in the world, when we see our lives, when we're um, uh, working on uh, projects with other people, then we start seeing the imperfections. We start using our powers of judgment and our powers of discrimination, don't we? And then the world just seems like it's in a mess. <laughs> and of course, we're in a mess too, stuck right in it. So today I'm going to talk about how we can work on this. And I want to start with a reading from this great book. She starts out here, the second chapter, this way. She says, love and belonging are essential to the human experience. I realize that only one thing separates the men and women who feel a deep sense of love and belonging from the people who always seem to be struggling for it. That one thing is the belief in their worthiness. It's as simple and as complicated as that. If we want to fully experience love and belonging, we must believe that we are worthy of love and belonging. You know, this is tough though. Isn't this kind of at the very core of our being? Isn't there something about us from a very early age that either was blessed with the knowledge that we're lovable or capable or almost seems, the reverse almost seems cursed when we're not? I don't know if it's that simple though. But I do know that we can make a difference. I do know that we have the capability of changing our own lives. But there are a few things that stand in the way. And the first one of them I want to address uh, via a joke. It's called Great Expectations. A disreputable looking man walks into a bar with a small dog under his arm. He sits down at the counter. He places the small dog on the bar stool next to him. The bartender says, hey pal, no dogs allowed. The man says, oh, but this is a special dog. He talks. Yeah, right, says the bartender. Now get out of here before I throw you out. No, wait, says the guy. I'll prove it to you. So he turns to the dog and he asks, what do you normally find on the top of a house? And the dog says, roof, roof. <laughs> yeah, says the bartender, whatever. Like you need it. No, wait, says the man. I'll ask another question. I'll show you. He turns to the dog again and says, what's the opposite of soft? Rough, says the dog, <laughs> rough. 
the bartender is like, had enough. Quit wasting my time. Just get out of here. One more chance, says the guy. Turning to the dog again, he asks, who was the greatest baseball player that ever lived? Ruth, says the dog. Ruth. Well, the bartender calls the bouncer, kicks him out to the curb. So they're out on the curb, and the guy looks down at the dog. The dog looks up at the guy, and the dog, in a very clear voice, says, Maybe I should have been more of a fan of Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> so why was this? <laughs> a couple of you were like, like oh. <laughs> but if you thought this joke was funny, the reason you probably thought, <laughs> well, you know, the reason you probably thought it was funny is because it was one of those where it set up an expectation, right? You've probably all heard one of those, the guy walks into the bar jokes, and it's always the guy trying to finagle or be sneaky into getting free drinks or, you know, whatever it is. The guy is always trying to pull one over on the bartender. So this one is funny, because actually the guy was perfectly honest. The dog could talk. Well, it's funny in a joke. But when our own expectations in life fall short... It's not so funny, is it? And by expectations, our worst enemy is guess who? It's right here. Have you ever had unreasonable expectations of yourself? Have you ever looked in the mirror in the morning and just said, you know, I'm probably not going to get this new job that I've applied for because I'm just not smart enough or I don't have the training for it? Have you ever really thought about yourself and just thinking, you know, I've had three or four bad relationships. The chances of me having a good relationship is just close to zero. Have you ever looked or evaluated your own life and simply felt you were not up to expectations. I would bet all of us have in one way or another. Some of us dramatically so. And you know what? What's troubling about this is they're probably not really your expectations. You probably never really sat down yourself and analyzed what makes a good marriage or a good relationship. You've probably not sat down yourself and really said, so what is enough education for this job? You've probably never really sat down and analyzed your own life for its sufficiency. And so I want to talk, the, the, the theme here is going to change a little bit to this idea of sufficiency. And the best way I can describe sufficiency is Thanksgiving. If your family was like my family, when I was growing up, we had Thanksgiving. There were 20 people there, and there was food for 50 people. And we ate. And we ate, and we ate some more. And I'm so embarrassed to say there were a couple of Thanksgivings that when we were done eating, all we had the strength to do was find a sofa and rest for a bit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, that is beyond sufficiency. <laughs> right? That clearly is, right? What, like we could have left off in the middle of dinner and been completely satisfied, Right? We didn't need the four pies. We didn't need, do you know what I mean? And yet we do this to ourselves pretty regularly. I mean, you can tell from me that there's now and then a meal where I go, yeah, I'll have dessert. Well, well beyond that idea of sufficiency. So does going beyond sufficiency, is it really any help to us? 
And whether it's eating, whether it's uh, buying things, whether it's creating a luxurious lifestyle for us, whether it's um, doing sweet things for the people we love, if you really examine this idea of sufficiency, you'll discover that when it's sufficient, it's actually complete. And you've heard that statement, when uh, less is more, I think that's where it comes from. Because when we're sufficient, when our lifestyle is sufficient, when our earnings are sufficient, when the love that we share with those around us is truly sufficient, when we've eaten enough to feel full and, and, and good, to add more to it actually takes us away from our happiness and from our joy. Have you ever known people that seem to be on the, the eternal quest for more physical abundance in their lives. People who um, work, you know, 80-hour weeks, people who strive so very hard in their jobs or even take a second job because it seems like they're on the quest for, you know, well, we need a second car or we really deserve to have a nicer house. We really um, want to make sure we can put all the kids through college. We want to, and there'll be a long list of things that on the surface sound very reasonable, and yet, is that life to acquire? I, I think before I've used the example of one of my bosses that totally had that idea. Um, I worked for a fellow named Mr. Corboy when I first started the telephone company. And that man worked so very hard. He was like a, a kind of in senior management. And, and he not only put in his 40 hours, he was on the shop floor all the time. He was there probably 60, 70 hours a week, always planning then in his home office on how to make things better and new products and things like that. And he always said, you know, I work like a dog now, but boy, when I retire. Can you fill in the blanks though here? He worked until he was 70, and three months after his last day at work, he made his transition. Where along the line did he cross sufficiency and into just a quest for, you know, something? I don't know, something. And I want to ask you here, now I'm going to switch gears just a little bit, because I think I know what that something is. I think when we find ourselves questing for externals, when we find the external world to be lacking, when we think that we need a, a new car, you know, every other year, when we think that always oh, a, a house should be a little bigger than the one previous to it, or when we're looking for apartments and everything's fine with your current one, but you're, you're always on the look for maybe one with a better view or one with an extra bedroom, what I think is that the missing thing isn't out there. Now this is sort of a, a bad news story, but I think that when we're on the eternal quest for something that's missing, the quest is actually right here. There's something in us that seems lacking. There's something that seems to be missing, and there's this, there's this hope, there's this dream that if only we look the right way, if only we show up the right way, if only we can find something that's missing, then we'll feel whole. <sighs> but it works the other way around. 
The trouble with metaphysics <laughs> is that so often it's an inside story. So often what we need to do if we want to feel fulfilled, if we want to feel whole, if we want to feel that perfection that is God and from God and guaranteed by God for us, if we want to find that level of wholeness and perfection and, and satisfaction, it starts right here. It isn't about lining up life to meet a certain methodology or a certain plan, it's about lining up our heart and our mind to know that we are enough. What prevents us from doing that? Brene Brown has a couple suggestions. First of all, it's back to expectations. She says the first thing that stands in the way of us feeling like enough is when we listen to all the messages that we're not enough. And there are plenty of them. They come at us right and left, even from the very people that we love and trust. They will tell us that, you know, you'd be a better mother if you'd do this. They will tell us that for this kind of house, you need to keep up your yard a certain way. They will tell us that if you were really successful, your job would look like this, or your marriage would look like this, or your family life would look like this. If you were any kind of mother or father, your children would be getting better grades, or, you know, and the this goes on and on. You think of anything, and doesn't society have the answer for how it should be done? I got to tell you, reading one more book on parenting actually is not going to make you a better parent. Reading one more book or taking one more training class, one more seminar, unfortunately, is not apt to improve things unless you own up to being sufficient in your heart, right in your heart. Yes, I'm a great parent. Yes, I'm a good worker. Yes, I'm talented. Yes, I have the education. I need to do a great job. When you hold on to these as the truth of you, then the rest of that nonsense out there will tend to evaporate. But until then, until then, the more we pay attention to people telling us we're not enough, not good enough, not smart enough, not clever enough, we're buying right into it, and pretty soon, we believe it too. The second thing that stands in the way of us feeling sufficient, the second thing that stands in the way of our own ability to say, I am enough, is our own story. Do you know what it is to carry a story around with you? I'm going to be a little uh, self-divulgent today. And, and in fact, I discovered in the first service that I almost started weeping when I realized that I have spent nearly half of my life with a couple stories about myself that were incredibly damaging. The first one, as a teenager, when I discovered that I was gay... The story I took for at least 20 years with me was that I would never have a happy and loving family. Now, whether I got this from the media, whether I got this from relatives, of course, that didn't approve of that kind of life or that kind of way of being, I don't know exactly where it came from, but after a bit, it was my story, and I believed it was true. Another one, when I also discovered that I was an alcoholic, <laughs> and isn't it funny that we think we discover these things in ourselves? Anyone along the way could have told me both that I was gay and that I was an alcoholic. <laughs> but that was another one. 
For similarly, for a long period of time, I thought because I was an alcoholic, life was just going to be shitty. Do you know what I mean? That I would lose my job, that I would never be worthy of having a decent relationship, that even if I wasn't drinking, I'd probably be a dry junk and still have all of the same problems and issues that I did when I was drinking, just to a lesser extent. I got to tell you, I spent a good, between these two stories, there was half of my life that I did not care that much for myself. Recipe for disaster. Total recipe for disaster. If you don't love yourself, who's really going to love you? If you're not secure in your own skin, if you, if you don't look in the mirror and say, yeah, today's going to be a great day, and you know why? Because you're going to make it be a great guy. You're a, you're a great guy. Life is good. If you can't look in the mirror and do that, then you're going to get just the randomness and the craziness of life. We need to have that self-sufficiency. We need to know that we are enough. Now, how do we get there? So we've looked at a couple of the obstacles. First of all, I think we need to know that it's right now, that in any point of time, nothing is missing for you to be self-sufficient, for you to feel worthiness. I mean, worthiness really is knowing that you're lovable and capable. It doesn't mean that you have to be able to jump over tall buildings with a single bound, right? It doesn't mean you have to fit into someone's bizarre, idealized structure of what a woman should look like or, or what kind of a perfect job would be. It's knowing that in any point in time, you showing up just the way you are is sweet, is great, is sufficient, is good enough. And that starts right today. You don't have to wait like that strange boss of mine until he's 70 and retired. You don't have to wait until the kids are grown and out of the house and you have some spare time to you know, work on things. You don't have to wait until you've lost the 40 pounds so that you fit into that dress that you wore in high school. None of that matters. You are enough right now. Without any changes, you are sufficient. God made you. You're beautiful, you're lovable, you're capable. Anything more than that is eating too much at Thanksgiving. <laughs> now I know this sounds kind of crazy, but again, I want to try this on for size because I think it's true. So let us say that one area in your life that you're kind of feeling isn't what it should be is your ability to be in a loving relationship. And you're not quite feeling that you're lovable. You're not quite feeling like you're up to the task of, of being in a committed and loving and non-judgmental relationship. Really doing that, that unconditional love. Okay, so you take a few classes, right? You come to church and listen to some lectures on it. You start small. Maybe you buy a dog because you're pretty sure you can love a dog. <laughs> Now, I'm, I'm not being trivial here. I mean, we got to start somewhere, right? And a dog will love you. <laughs> okay? So for some of us, maybe small steps. Maybe small steps, and that's okay. Then we start noticing that our friendship relationships start getting a little better. And we really can be there solidly for a friend, not in judgment, not complaining. And we begin to realize that a part of our heart, through our efforts, has opened up further. 
And there suddenly is the opening for that kind of loving relationship that you always wanted. Because you are the person who loves themselves. You've seen through the dog's eyes. You've seen through your best friend's eyes. And you know that you are good and worthy and sufficient. And and then you embark upon one of those most wonderful things of having a long-term committed relationship. And it's sweet and it's good and it's sufficient. Do you need to add more to it? There is a sufficiency in all things, whether it's a relationship, whether it's earning power, whether it's um, the, the feeling of, uh, 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 of being good at sports, there's a, the, the knowledge that you're um, smart enough to do certain things. That at every point in your life, there is a sufficiency. And is it worthwhile to take some classes and improve yourself towards that level of sufficiency? Of course it is. Is perfectionism useful, though? I don't think so. I think it's just eating too much at Thanksgiving. I want to close today with the smallest bit of homework. I want you to look in your own life, and hopefully no one has quite such dramatically negative stories and self-talk as I had, but I bet everyone here has some kind of a negative story about themselves. I bet everyone here has some area in their life where they've never quite felt adequate. And it's been a story that you've created, or maybe a story that someone else created for you, but you bought into it. Sometimes from an early age, someone will tell us that we're just not talented in that area, or we're just not smart in school. You know, you'll never amount to much. It's a story that you can change. And so your homework this week is to detail, if you will, enumerate some story in your life that you'd like to get rid of, you'd like to put out to pasture and change. And I'd like you to simply rewrite it. So if the story was, uh, you know, because I'm gay, I'm never going to have a, a loving family relationship, let's rewrite that story into something more like, I'm always sufficient and loving family members are always present for me. If you've always had the feeling that you're just not smart enough to get a great job, let us rewrite that story into a great job is mine now. I'm absolutely sufficient to hold down one of the greatest jobs on this planet. I want this to be also a true story. Because what we're doing is we're putting out to pasture the lie. We're putting out to pasture a self-imposed limitation, a story that really does not describe our essential nature. Your essential nature is spirit, it is whole and perfect, and any story that conflicts with wholeness and perfection, at least on the spiritual plane, is an outright lie. So we're getting rid of the lie and we're going to bring in a story of positiveness. We're going to bring in a story that is, yes, I am this thing. I am sufficient. I am lovable. I am capable. I'm more than enough. That's your homework for this week. I'm going to close today with another quote from Brene Brown. She 
She says, we can spend a lifetime trying to distance ourselves from the parts of our lives that don't fit in with who we think we're supposed to be. We can hustle for our worthiness by constantly performing, perfecting, pleasing, and proving. But when we can let go of what other people think, when we can own our own story, we gain access to our worthiness, that feeling that we are enough just as we are and that we are worthy of love and belonging always. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is that thing that I call life. And what I recognize about life on the spiritual side is complete perfection. The gorgeous night sky, the, the innocence of first love, that, that essential that spiritual truth of perfection itself that comes from God. And what I know is that a part of this perfection, because I am created in God's image, is that there is always a part of me that is just as perfect, that in my heart, in my spirit, there is a perfection of soul that is undeniable. And as I hold on to that, as I recognize it in myself and others, as I claim it as true, it is true. And as this is the truth of who I am, I know that each person in this room has that same level of spiritual perfection. That each person here has the capability, no, even the impetus to claim for themselves the perfection of spirit. And as we do this, our lives become more worthy. Our lives from the inside out begin with that understanding that we are enough, that each of us has that sufficiency of life, that calmness of life, that capability and lovability of life that in any, any given moment is quite enough. And I am grateful for this. I'm grateful that as we share this good news of sufficiency, as we share and understand the worth of our own heart, the universe changes. I'm grateful for this. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much.